Welcome to Prepare Like a Pro Live Chats. My name is Jack McLean. I created Prepare Like a Pro early in the year. We are a strength and conditioning business that specialises in athletic development for football. Lachlan's quick on. Check you a... Okay, bang. Sending one out. Hey, Dylan. Thanks for sending your question in, GT. Hey, mate. G'day, mate. Going well, mate? Yourself? Yeah, good. You hear me nicely? Yeah, thanks Perfect. for jumping on. How are you? Self? Yeah, very well, mate. Yeah, ticking along well. The last last couple of days of holidays and then uh, then back to it. Uh, a good festive season, recharged, ready. Yeah, mate, it was uh, actually, uh, well, yeah, it wasn't very festive. It was very, uh, very relaxed, to be honest, mate. Didn't do anything at all. Just put the feet up, enjoy some quiet time. We've got a, a baby due in March, so I think it'll probably be uh, the last time I can uh, do absolutely nothing without anything annoying me. So we'll see how we go, but, uh, but it was very good, mate. Nice and relaxing. Yeah, fantastic. Congratulations as well. Very exciting. Thank you very much, mate. Yeah, we'll see how we go. Well, do a bit of an intro. You're quick, mate. I didn't even get my intro out before. Uh, oh, that's uh, why I was in the background for you, mate. I was going to let you yeah, know. Yeah. Uh, so we'll, we'll do a quick little intro for those that don't know you. So Lachlan has been working in the fitness industry for 17 years now. So you can call yourself a leader in the field. Yeah, you can if you want, mate. I'm still a young. You, <laughs> yeah. I'll give you. Yeah, I reckon over 15 years. You've got to be. <laughs> So, yeah, working with General Pop as well as elite athletes. After completing your bachelor's, you did your uh, honours thesis in sports science. Spent eight years, and this is probably where you, you got a fair bit of fame with your, your work at GWS Giants. I certainly started to see your work there with Razor Curls and Nordics and your um, progressions with things in your plyos and, and things like that. So it'd be cool to, to bring back that chapter in your career. Yeah. And then that was post AIS AFL Academy and the New South Wales ACT Academy. And then your, your most recent elite role in sports science was head of athletic performance. Is that that's the same as high performance? Yeah, high performance. Yep, yep, yep. yep. And uh, now you're in the private sector, full-time co-owner of Athletes Authority, which is yeah, a nice big gym in, in Sydney doing good things from what I can see from Faye. I haven't visited yes. yet. It'd be cool to see uh, what you're doing. But how long have you been running Athletes Authority now? Mate, I've been partnered with my business partner, Carl, in that for three and a half, almost four years now. So I, I, was, I started that, like, the investment side of it with Carl and the, the athletic development side of it when I was at the Giants. Sort of the last year that I was at the Giants was pretty much the year that I, I've always wanted to expand. I always knew that the pro sport wasn't going to be everything for me. I can't see myself with three kids still uh, answering the phone calls of a head coach. So I think yeah. it's, it was always my plan to have that, that private side of it. But also knew I couldn't just step out of uh, professional sports straight into a gym and you know, have 100 athletes come straight to me. It's just not, not what happens. So trying to get something going on the side was always a, a plan. It was really good. And obviously, I was lucky enough to have a, a phenomenal business partner like Carl that, uh, that ran the show for so long while I was in professional sport and, and let me do what I need to do there. And, and now we've just sort of grown to a size that there's that, uh, one of my athletes there, the Muppet. It's grown to a size now that just for me, I needed to come across. It just wasn't going to continue off a single man's leadership. He was, he was slowly wearing thin of it. So it was good to, good to get across and made it. So it's been unreal. I've, uh, I've definitely come into it into a very odd time where we sort of rolled into it and there was, uh, we lost our, well, we lost. We had our two head coaches post when I came on board. So I yeah, right. took on their roles and we rolled into the fires. We had a, a big storm that knocked out one of the power lines. We had a blackout for like two weeks. We had no power. We then rolled into what was then COVID. And yeah. it was just, this is all yeah, 2020, I mean, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah, it was yeah. just it yeah. was back to back. So, yeah, it was phenomenal yeah. phenomenal to, to come into it. But, uh, but to be honest, probably a good time because I don't, I don't know what it would have been like if I had been still at Parramatta as well as having a, a foot in, in Athletes Authority. It just would have been a nightmare. You know? It would have been hubbed up in, in the pro sector on reduced Money and then also trying to have a have a facility that 
that didn't have me to just take on the roles. Like I mean, myself and Carl took on so many roles over the COVID period to make sure that we were safe. If we had staff there, we had to support as well on top of that. Now, obviously, we do have staff, but more staff would have, uh, would have definitely been a tough situation. But, but all done and dusted now, mate. Moving on, hopefully push out the other side. And- yeah, yeah, absolutely, mate. And we'll, we'll get... The, I did the story a little bit early in terms of the, the guys that sent through the question. So say those questions don't expire. GT, which we had a good beer, us three, GT and Asta last year conference. That feels like, oh, geez, longer than a year ago now. But a favourite book to read, GT's asked. <laughs> I think he's watching as well. That's a classic, classic question. I don't, I don't, know, why, I don't know why he's bothered to ask that because he doesn't read himself. The story behind that is he applied uh, for a role and I, uh, I, one of my feedback to him, the fact he didn't read, uh, was, was something that hurt him. So my still, favorite, still know, doing damage, brother. Is, uh, tell GT there's too many for him to catch up on. Love it. It's got a story behind it as well. That's awesome. Yeah. I thought, oh, he's, he's been... Uh, yeah, I was surprised by GT asked that question, but that makes sense. Jimmy has written, well, I'll click it so it pops up at the bottom. What is your approach to training around low back pain, Jimmy? Yeah, look, it's, it's an open-ended question there because it depends what the issue is with the back. You know, from is it disky, is there a pathology there, is it non-specific? is it neural? I think the first and foremost is find out what aggravates You need to find out what movements, what positions, what things aggravate it. Lucky enough that we've got some great physios that, that work at Athletes Authority and and one in particular, Alan, has, has dealt with a lot of neural back pain, which is, is quite common, probably more common than a lot of people think, because it, it's certainly the, the pain presentation doesn't always feel neural to the person, but often it can be neural. So one of the, the key things that we look at is a, a lot of neural flossing and doing yep. some, some really good neural mobility work around that low back. Bottom line is, as a, as a summary for the whole, is we load. We try and load as much as we can. If that means we, we can't load through flexion to start because it, it, it sets them off, then we don't do that. We, if we can't load an extension, then we don't do that. But we find ways that we can load. So like I said, it depends on what the issue is. But ultimately, we look at mobility, we look at neural flossing, and also look at loading in the, in the best part we can and, and steadily progress from there. When it comes to, to parts and areas that, that do set it off, so for example, if flexion is something that sets it off, then we'll start to try and put them through flexion without any load, obviously, when they start, uh, and then build from there. The, the worst thing that we can do both mentally and physically is is completely avoid a pattern and there's always ways to do it. In the AFL, we had a lot of boys that, that just had general lumbar tightness just from running loads and everything like that, especially if they had a previous injury, whether it be a stress fracture, which is quite common in younger AFL players, sort of a, a, a lumbar stressy. Even if that's been healed and recovered, they're, they're very hesitant to load. And one of the worst things you can do is just avoid that for the rest of their career. So we would certainly progress them in certain ways. It might be as simple as, if it's a stress option, getting them started on the leg press for some nice simple load, then progressing into a trap bar deadlift, and then progressing from there. If it's a dumbbell RDL, from there you're looking at more conventional dead. So we would always try and get them back. But if you were to take them straight to a conventional dead, and look, I've made the mistake when I was younger with different athletes that have had back pain, and I've, I've sort of, they've been fine. It's been three years since they've had back pain, and I'm thinking, yeah, it's fine, so let's jump into it. But mentally, they haven't recovered, and they just mm. feel a little bit of tightness. We all know what our backs feel like when we start to load heavy. You can have the healthiest back, but you still get that, that erector doms that just, you know, people really feel all the time. And, and if you've had a stressy previously, it just, mentally, it just sets them off, so. A steady progression of load is probably the key thing. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Awesome, mate. Thanks for that. Let's go through your sort of story of, of your career, mate. Take us back to the start. At what age did you recognise that you had a passion for sort of fitness, I guess we'll call it, or strength? Uh, well, my, my, my mother was a PT, an old school aerobics instructor, so I always had right. a, a little bit in me. 
And I reckon when I, I was a, a fairly early developer, I was about this size when I was in year eight. So I used to yeah, dominate okay. quite easily and I thought the career in football is where I'm going. Year 10, I realized, Jesus, maybe I'm just about the same height as everyone. And then before I knew it, I was a, a midfield height with the endurance capacity of, of, a, of a tall forward. So yep. for me, it probably wasn't the ideal setup, but, but still always passionate about it. And it was probably year 11, year 12, or year 11, really, where I started to realize I, um, I read a book called uh, a Body for Life by Bill Phillips. For those people that are about my age, it probably would have seen it come out. It was a, it was a very bodybuilding-orientated book, and I read it from cover to cover, and I didn't read in high school at all. I hated it. So after reading that, I thought, geez, there must be something to this if I can go cover to cover with this, and loved it. And I'd, I'd been training anyway, just generally. And yeah, did my, did my Cert 3, Cert 4 over the year 11, 12 break and then through year 12 and, and started PTing straight away and just loved it ever since, mate. So for me, it's, it was probably the age-old story of you, you were an athlete, tried it, and I probably was an early realisation in high school. Some people keep going through uh, university or college. But uh, yeah, for me, it was probably a year 10 realisation that um, yeah. probably not, uh, not to where I need to be. And I'm sure a stronger-minded person probably could have pushed through and maybe made it, but... Uh, but for me, I love training. I love the, the process. I love learning more about it. I love helping other people with it. So for me, that was just sort of the, the, the route I took. Yeah, fantastic. So your mum was a personal trainer back then or was it was She was the no, typical 1980s aerobics instructor. She had the fluoro pink, the tights, the yeah, everything involved, the leg warmers. It's all coming back. Um, yeah, so she, she, had a, she had a fair crack. She had a dance with it as well so which is something i inherited which is good to hear good for the instagram followers <laughs> uh, that's awesome so yeah so you did so pt were you in a was it a, a globo gym was it a pt studio well I did some general pt on the side for a year 12 just in parks and then went out of a, a place called living well which is now fitness first but it was the the hilton owned gym chain so that was for a couple of months and then got involved with, with Fitness First where it was you pay your rent and you do your own thing, which I actually really liked. So I had a coach there, Paul Meldrum, who was sort of a mentor of mine when I was there, which gave me sort of a rent reduction and, and built from there. And yeah, I was at Fitness First for four years almost, or yeah, four years in North Ride around the corner. So it was, yeah, mate, it was, for me, it was the, the best place to make all my mistakes. No, yeah, that's hopefully none of my old clients. Certainly, it was for me something that that allowed me to you know learn how to program, learn how to connect with people. Like I was, a, I was a seventeen-year-old high school graduate, still living at home, and you know not a care in the world at that stage. And I had you know forty-year-old mothers that were going through divorces and yeah you know, stuff. And it was a it was a fairly quick learning curve to how to be a bit of a chameleon in, in talking to different people and and being able to connect with different people because um, ultimately my strong suit's connecting with with football players because that's what I did. But to be thrown into that early in my career, fantastic because I think it made me a far better coach as I got older and have a, a little bit more to talk about in, in life experiences when I can you know, be a 17-year-old and sometimes just about listening to what they have and their problems. So I was a bit of a pop psychologist, to be honest. Yeah, absolutely, mate. That's, uh, that resonates with me. I did the exact same thing, fitness first on Amal Road. Yeah. I was 19, yeah. So same deal. And it, yeah, you think back, you're like, what the hell was I doing? Like paying, I think it was 250 bucks a week for a year contract with no clients. Yeah. <laughs> and you, yeah. you sm- but you learn business pretty quick. You learn people skills pretty quick. You learn how to sell pretty quick. So yeah, bang on, yeah. You, you get some and good. Exactly. And back then it was, you had to sell. You got your little triple packs. So you had yeah. opportunities to come in. You had to get on the floor. You had to get out. It doesn't come to you. And I find that some strength conditioning coaches that I, I deal with that have come straight out of university haven't had that. They kind of park themselves and expect athletes or expect clients to come to them or expect the company to do that. Now, there's obviously mm. going to be a part of the company where they have to deliver 
clients to them. But uh, as a coach, you, you've got to learn how to actually attract people and you've got to go out and get that because they're not going to just come to you. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good message. There'll be a few S&Cs no doubt watching. So uh, I'll add personal trainers. So, <laughs> and then, so obviously there was an interest, I imagine, with if you wanted to be an elite athlete, I imagine you wanted to be at S&C in sport was that something when did that sort of come uh, to, to be come honest it wasn't it wasn't my first thing no I was, I was happy just kicking around as a PT I was enjoying the time I got writing again depending on how old you are if you're listening depend like got into Paul Check yeah. back in those days when they were running a lot of a lot of courses and holistic quite, lifestyle coach yeah quite the holistic side which was no don't get me wrong mate to be honest a lot of my knowledge now is grounded in a lot of that it's fantastic info there's some parts that are a little bit skewed but generally it was fantastic and for me, that was there was times where I was going to go down that path, open a bit of a, a PT clinic and go down the more holistic side of things. But I started working with a couple of athletes that were, at that time, they had a New South Wales scholarship program to try and get more AFL athletes drafted out of New South Wales. So clubs had sort of a free hit when they were 14, 15 to draft, to, to scholarship them for a few years and have sort of a free draft hit at them. So I started working with a, a couple of those guys who were under a coach of mine at the time at Pennant Hills where I was playing. And, and yeah, they saw some good results and the head of the New South Wales program there saw that and said, do you want to come to the, give a talk? And so I came down, I spoke on running mechanics and stuff like that. And they loved it at the time and happened to be expanding their role into having a strength conditioning coach come on board. So I sort of pitched a, a couple of options that could be good for them and mate, they, they loved it and which was great. So I got my start there. And, and when I started that, I literally came home from being offered the job and I thought, fuck, maybe this is actually a, a career that I could do. Now I started research, yeah. I hadn't really... So I knew there were strength conditioning coaches with teams, obviously, but I hadn't really ever thought about going down that route. And I didn't have a degree at the time. I thought, geez, if I want to go any further, I probably need to get a degree. So I um, literally registered that night. Happened to be perfect timing straight in and yeah, started at ACU the following month as an yeah. undergraduate and, and had a crack then. And mate, yeah, we sort of grew from there, which was great. Yeah, fantastic. Awesome. So the, the athletes that you're working with, were they members of the gym that you're at? or, the, or the... Players at the club I was playing at there. Uh, gotcha, yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. And then along your way, like if you had a mentor for years, have you had mentors or, or is it more self-research? What, what do you think? Yeah, a number of mentors. My, my two biggest mentors would be uh, my two managers that have been through uh, the Giants. First one was John Quinn. For those who don't know, he's a, he's a track and field coach. I was at Essendon for 10 years and came to the Giants. Um, he was my, my first real mentor that was also my manager. Yeah, previous to that in the New South Wales program, there wasn't really many people above me. Uh, a, a guy called James Veal was working the AIS program. And to be honest, he probably really influential on me that I yeah, had to sort of sort after there because yeah, with the, the New South Wales program, I was basically it. So mm-hmm. obviously I learned a lot from the coaches there as far as skills coaches goes and how to interact and, and run programs and stuff like that. But uh, James Veal was a, a fantastic mentor to to help me transition into that strength conditioning side of it. But then when I was at the Giants, Quinny moulded a hell of a lot of what I do today, especially my plyometric love and, and going through that. Like that was that was pretty much all Quinny that governed the way I, I program and set up a lot of that. And then, yeah, then my next one, one of my biggest would be David Joyce, who was my manager after Quinny. So lucky enough to have some pretty pretty uh, epic managers there, which have helped me along the way. And, and yeah, that's, that's probably the, the major ones that I've had that have really governed what I do. But to be honest, mate, there's... Everything, everyone you work with and every person you come in contact with, even players and stuff like that have, have been fantastic. You know, like coaches at, at the clubs as in uh, Leon Cameron, Kevin Sheedy that were there, governed a lot of ways I do things. One of the biggest ones, Brad Arthur at Parramatta Hills, was fantastic to work with. That 
just the the way he thought and the things he let me do, but also the the things that he sort of pressured and pushed and, and stuff like that. Just it creates creates you as a coach, mate, when you get pushed in each direction and a, a lot of things that you you take for granted and you just want to implement and then they challenge you on it. You're like, geez, I hadn't even thought you, you'd have an issue with this, but yet let's go for it and, and you go toe to toe and stuff like that's what what governs and makes you a great coach and, and probably trusts what you do. I think yeah that. That back and forth is what means that that I can you know tell someone this is what I think and this is what I want to do and have confidence in it. Yeah, so I think they're, they're probably hard to name one, but there's a, a full selection there. Yeah, fantastic. That's some yeah, some great guys that have helped shape you along the way from different disciplines as well, which is pretty cool to hear. For the footballers that are watching, like the young footballers, what are some important things? Let's say you're getting a new client, he comes into Athletes Authority, he's a he's a young sixteen year old. And he, and he wants to develop himself to help his game. What are some of the things that you sort of work with, yeah, developing footballers? What are your pillars, I guess, or your priority? Yeah. Top well, three depends, sort of stuff. depends what they're missing. I think as a whole, it doesn't matter whether you're a footballer, lacrosse player, and anything in between. At the end of the day, we run them through a series of assessments to try and work out how we're going to influence them the best. For our program, if, if they're an under-16, they'll, they'll fall a little bit more into our emerging athlete program or our LTAD mm-hmm. program, far more general, and focusing on, Key pillars of everything from basic strength movements, compound movements, uh, good landing mechanics, good change of direction and decel work. Then when we start to graduate into the, the more specific where we start to get a little bit more tailored to their actual uh, sport, an example we use footballers. So if we're looking at, say, an AFL player for them, depending on key position, midfield, where they're going, looking at a, key, a couple of their, their key resilience side of things, so obviously high-speed running, hamstring work, hip flexor work, Achilles calf, these type of things that we'll start to look at really nailing to make sure that we can have the word bulletproof, but try and make that as resilient as possible. But realistically, we start to look at their makeup and work out, are they people that are going to benefit from more strength or they're going to benefit from more explosive power? We look at you know, a number of ratios that we use with our testing equipment to decide, right, what, are we, what part of the curve are we surfing? And, and when I say that, you know, force velocity curve, looking at, at whether athletes are, are weak and powerful, which is actually quite hard. You see, you get a lot of Indigenous players. I work with a number of Indigenous players of the Giants that were very weak, but very explosive. And it's sort of like the, the engine that's got a crap chassis. You, know, you, you take a Ferrari engine and put in a Yaris, that engine's probably going to pull that, that Yaris frame out of whack. And that's where we see a lot of these little niggly things with Indigenous players that, that are quite explosive and zippy, but they just don't have the, the muscle to be able to hold on to that, that tendon. The, the tendon's going to anchor somewhere, and bone and muscle are the two major areas, and, and often it's the muscle that gives up. So for that type of thing, we start to look at how do we strengthen that player to improve their weakness, but also they're going to get drafted for a reason, and the reason's mm. going to be speed, if that's the case. So very important to make sure that we establish a good body weight, make sure we establish correct body weight for them to be able to maintain that speed power, make sure that they can still do what they're good at. And it's something we also still expose them to because I've said it too many times before where you, you get the skinny kid that comes in and he's lightning quick and the coach goes, oh, we need a bigger. So they go yeah. into a, a hypertrophy program and suddenly they get a little bit more size, but then they're not running fast. So when you've got speed groups, it's like, oh, he doesn't need any more speed. So yeah. suddenly he doesn't train speed for two weeks, three weeks, four weeks. But then obviously what's his strength and what's his go-to it's mm. his speed. So if he's on a wing or something like that, he's going to use his speed. And then what goes is hamstring because yeah. he hasn't done speed. So it is a, it's it's a good fine balance of finding the weaknesses that we need to improve, but also going to be the, the strength that they need to keep sharpening and keep sharpening that sword. So for us, it's a decision. What are we looking at? Are we looking at increasing strength? And, and a lot of the athletes we get are actually, for their relative body weight and where they they're actually quite strong because, mm. yeah, that's the type of thing when an athlete comes to a, a PT or a coach that probably has less experience, they go, oh, we'll get you nice and strong. 
But sometimes if they max out their strength, then there's always good to get them a little bit stronger, don't get me wrong. But if you're just increasing that strength reserve but not increasing their ability to use it, then you're going nowhere. So for us, it's about, well, do we need to start loading some jumps to try and transition a bit more force? So we need to improve that rate of force development. So realistically, sort of three areas. We either need to get them stronger, we need to try and improve the rate of force development, or we need to try and improve their, their speed and velocity output. And then there's sort of three categories that we start to put people into. Not yep. to say we don't do the other parts of the categories, but we'll also make sure that we target the weak ones and then keep the, the strong ones as sharp as we can. Yep. I know that and, around, it's a very complex answer because there's nothing, one, one thing in particular. It's sort of the, the all-encompassing answer, so hopefully you get something out of that. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, the athletes watching, you want to have, have a focus that's specific to your body and how you work, mm-hmm. that individualization. As well as at the age of 16, you probably need a little bit of everything. Yeah. So, and, and to be honest, if, if I was going to give one takeaway to team sport athletes, so footballers included, the biggest thing I see with team sport athletes is they're never, they're never advanced lifters. I don't care how, how many years they've been for, they're never advanced lifters. They're always going to sit in that, that moderate to experience, but not advanced. Advanced lifters are power lifters, Olympic lifters, guys that do it daily and, and train for three hours on it. That's so, sport, yeah. when it comes to team sport athletes, as you take something out of their program, they lose it. So people that do these blocked periodizations of, of we just do strength and then hyper, um, hyper, I hate hypertrophy blocks. I'd never do hypertrophy blocks. They lose too much. I'll add mm-hmm. hypertrophy options in. But if you're just doing strength and then max strength and then power where everything's speed the whole session, and you, whenever you're doing speed blocks, you're losing max strength. Whenever you're doing max strength, mm-hmm. they're losing velocity. When you're trying to combine both or you're trying to do hypertrophy, you're losing both. So for me, I'll always have in my programs a little bit of everything, but yep. I'll have a percentage allocated to what I'm trying to get out of that program. But you better believe even in a, a max velocity block where, where my team sport athletes are chasing speed and preparing for round one, round two, they've still got a max strength in there. It may be yep. modified range, it may be limited in ways, but they'll still have a max strength. There's, they've, I've just seen it too many times. As soon as I take something out, they lose it. So mm. I endeavour to keep everything in all the time and just move the, the pieces of the puzzle around to make sure that they can focus what they need to. Yeah, yeah, love it. That's uh, very similar to, I remember a similar chat I had with Andrew Russell where he was talking about his sort of the funnel periodization where you do a little bit of everything and then you just get a yeah. little bit more specific to the game as you get closer to the season. So, yeah, it's uh, simple, but but they're yeah, not done well very often. So good message again. For the guys that you've seen at the highest level, whether it be rugby uh, or, or at GWS, what were some traits that you noticed? It can be outside of training as well in terms of lifestyle and mindset, but what were some traits that you noticed that also you try and, work on with with developing footballers yeah so probably outside of your pure strength conditioning side i think the the number one trait that i see in in just elite players and elite teams is confidence almost arrogance that their best will beat anyone and there's a big difference between that where people are confident or arrogant that they're going to win versus people are confident arrogant that their hardest work will win because i see teams all the time that that get confident that they're going to win and that was that was Parramatta the first year i went there they were so confident they were going to win that they didn't work hard versus confident that your best will win. Because if you're arrogant to the point of like confidence, to the point of arrogance that you, your best will beat anyone, then you're always going to work hard. And most of the time you're going to win because everyone's working hard. And that confidence is very different to a confidence in we're just going to win. It's going to happen. So I think the best athletes that I see, those ones that just know, yeah, I'm going to play well. I'm going to beat this person. I'm going to beat this team because I'm working hard. I'll put in the work. I'm confident in my work versus I'm just going to win because it's going to happen. And I think that's probably the biggest difference that I see from a mindset and a mental standpoint that governs everything that they do because they work hard 
at all times. They're always working hard because they know that their hard work is going to pay off. They know that their hard work is going to get that back. That governs an entire setup from recovery through to field work, through to gym work and everything in between. And I think that's, that's the number one. But I think I'm also a big believer that the old story of you know, hard work will beat talent when talent doesn't work hard. Bullshit, because I've seen plenty of talent not work hard and still beat people that are working their ass off. Sometimes yeah. you just pick your parents perfectly. Like I said, for my dance moves, I pick my parents perfectly. Probably not for my athletic prowess. So I reckon it's, it, it is sometimes. You just got to admit that for a number of positions in a team, especially team sport, it is just sometimes so genetic slash skill-based that it doesn't matter if they're, they're not in the gym or working as hard as you. But that doesn't mean that if someone was going to work their absolute ring off with it, that they're not going to get better. Of course they will. Yeah. And the same yeah. as someone that may not be as talented, you work hard and you might be able to match it with people or sometimes yeah. overtakes people. So it's not an excuse not to work hard or just to say it is what it is. But it is also, for me, sometimes the talent side is superior. And yeah. on that, I'd probably say that the best athletes I see are the ones that are the most skillful. And as you hear people say, I think Keir Brennan Flat says it best, you know, a PhD in your sport. And it's true. Like, Strength conditioning coaches, we are assistants to everything. We have a bit of a saying at, at Athletes Authority that with us, with our juniors, we, we insist that we, you know, one time a week in, in the gym is not enough. We're not going to get enough done. Two times for juniors, perfect. Two times for, for older athletes can be done, but also you probably need to touch more here and there. Three, we kind of feel that's, that's that ideal, that sort of sweet spot for a lot of our guys. Four, depending on your sport and depending on the season, we can certainly accommodate. Five, Sometimes we start to think, well, if you're in the gym five times a week, depending on the time of season, maybe you're not doing your sport quite enough because if you want to make it, you probably don't have the time to be in the gym five days a week or then mm. it gets to six days a week. So for us, we do encourage our athletes that what you, you actually need to do your sport more than you are here. And as you're going to find athletes that just love training, they love being in the gym, it's, it's an innate thing. But at the end of the day, the, the ones that make it the best athletes in the world are the best at their sport. And the best way you get at your sport is to play your sport, do your sport, compete in your sport, train in your sport. Everything we do just makes and allows you to do it more often or to do it at a higher rate. We don't, we don't make you a better kicker. We don't make you a better hand passer, decision maker. And these things come uh, as an accessory to, to anything that we're doing. Awesome. Oh, that's awesome, mate. Well, that's, uh, we'll, we'll go into Q&A, guys. I know, Jimmy, this will, you can watch this. It'll be a saved IGTV. So if you've missed the start, Lachlan's dropped gems all the way through. So definitely go back and, and rewatch it, mate. What have we got here? I think it's Jeff Farr. What can you do with Achilles tendonopathy, which is 80% heal, but struggling to move on the last 20%? It's interesting, Lachlan. You're getting a few specific uh, rehab yeah. questions. Uh, it's a hard one because I don't know what you mean by 80% heal, but move on the last 20. Is that, I, I'm yeah. going to say that... Of 100% of the day, you're getting pain with 20% of things, perhaps, maybe that last little bit. I think it doesn't matter with Achilles, uh, patella, all tendinopathy, frustrating as hell. And the best way to think of it is once you get a tendinopathy, you never get rid of it. You always have a tendinopathy, unfortunately. I hate uh, to be the person to tell you that. But all you need to do when it comes to tendinopathy is the, the balance of what it can handle versus the load that you're delivering. So it's capacity and your load. So for the rest of your life, if you do something that spikes your load that is above the capacity of your Achilles at that time, you'll get a little bit of pain. So where you're at now, if you're saying you're 80% healed, it sounds like that you've progressed really nicely and you've given it enough capacity to tolerate 80% of loading, but that last 20%, which may be top-end speeds or jumping or, or top-end loads, that last little bit can take a while. But the key part of it, again, having no idea what you've actually done to get it to the 80%, 
At that stage, I would be suggesting you should be doing pretty heavy eccentric work. So with Achilles stuff, you should be sort of doing two up and really loading with like an eccentric calf race. So sort of two, two up and then one down very slowly and trying to really nail that last little bit. And usually at that stage as well, you, you are wanting to brew that sort of three, maybe four out of 10 pain. If you're pushing up to the six, seven, obviously stay away. But if you're feeling absolutely no pain when you're doing what you're doing, you're probably not pushing it quite hard enough just yet. I know that's a very open-ended answer because I've got absolutely no idea what you've been doing or, or what specifically it is. But, but you're probably at a stage now that you can start to, to really challenge heavy loads with that, that three to four out of 10 pain. Fantastic. Awesome, mate. Thanks for asking that. There you go, Jeffa. Keep training hard, mate. So let's wrap it up for 2021. We're in it now. 2020 was a, a doozra. What are you excited about, you and Carl, with Athletes Authority? What's, what are some of the things? Uh, so much way we do have, we have locked in a new facility that we've just started right. uh, construction on. So is a, it is a current building that we have, we've gutted, and it's, it'll be, yeah, close to three times the size of what we're currently in, which wow. will allow us to, to develop a lot more teams and our rehab and Sports Meta will develop substantially. So watch this space. Uh, hopefully by end of March, we will, we will have it completely done. But yeah, between now and then, it is, it is absolute chaos trying to line up everything and get everything right and everything ticked off. But, but yeah, within a couple of months, we will certainly be in, uh, in a brand new facility around the corner from where we are, which is going to house our, our dreams that we've had for a couple of years and allow us to, to push a little bit more with what we want to do. How do the physios and the, and the sports med guys, are they involved? Are they, they've got a, a clinic room and they're prescribing rehab in the gym and has it? Part of the, as a professional performance department, we have three physios that work with all of our athletes. They log into Team Builder, change all of their exercise when they need things. They add things, take things away. They run rehab sessions on the gym floor. So they coach on our gym floor, which has been fantastic. So we, yeah, that has definitely been a, a huge expansion for us over the past 12 months. And yeah, they, they run field sessions, return to run. They can coach the hell out of athletes as, as good as a number of coaches I know. So they're, they're a massive asset to us. And and that's a big development for us in the new facility to, to expand our performance department. So we'll have, we've obviously got the strength and conditioning coaches down pat. We've got our physios. We have a sports doc. And we're also now expanding. We've got a mental skills coach as well, which has been really good for our athletes that works with them. We've had, had a relationship with some good dietitians, which will come on board in a far greater capacity. And a couple of soft tissue therapists as well that's that will round out a, a fairly comprehensive team for the new facility. So it's going to be very exciting. Fantastic, mate. Well, all the best with it all. And, and thanks again for jumping on. It's been a really good chat. Mate, appreciate it. Thanks for chatting. Thank you. Cheers, Lock. Thanks, guys. Catch up.